0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW. Revoid were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener
1: discretion is advised. My two other friends in front of us shot around and asked us what was wrong. And I replied, just run. And all four of us jetted for our car.
3: It wouldn't mean anything except I caught the word kill scrawled on it. I dropped the linens and took a closer look. What I read on the first
4: note made my blood run cold. Amber, with audible panic, said, You're not going the right way. Where are you going? Their tone changed dramatically as the woman turned to the back seat.
2: From Disturbed Media, join your host Chad for true tales of horror bizarre happenings and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed.
0: Back in everyone, and thanks for joining me today. I'm bringing you four true horrifying tales that are sure to keep you up at night. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show with a listener submission from Kayla, featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas, and we discover the haunted attraction.
5: One of the most well-known haunted attractions in my home state is an abandoned sanatorium that is used as a haunted house during the month of October. The sanatorium is also able to be toured all year round and has even been featured on an episode of Ghost Adventures. I had been to the sanatorium a few years in a row to partake in the haunted house, and both times had been incident-free. I had talked to one of my good friends, her name is Courtney, about coming along with me on my third trip to the sanatorium so that she could go through the haunted house with me. She agreed enthusiastically. We were both big time horror and scary things fans, and so we made our way there. When we arrived, the line to get in was very long and it was fairly chilly outside. Not to be perturbed, we waited patiently and decided to take some pictures to pass the time while we waited for our turn to enter. There were no light sources around us, with the exception of a woman engaging in fire play near the entrance of the sanatorium. She was alternating between hula hooping fiery and neon colored hula hoops, as well as entertaining on silk ropes suspended in the air. Our turn to enter finally came and we went through the haunted house. We had such a great time and enjoyed every minute inside the history laden building. On our ride home, I examined the photographs we had taken while Courtney drove Looking through the pictures, I was completely speechless. In every single picture that was taken of Courtney and I, there were strange light anomalies, very large orb-like balls in front of us and around our heads. The weirdest picture out of all of them, though, contained an anomaly that was the same color as the other orbs in the previous pictures, but this orb was human-shaped and measured a few inches taller than myself. It was standing on my left side, leaning into me, as if it was wanting to be a part of the picture as well. The night after going to the sanatorium was when the really weird shit started to happen. I felt a constant presence in my closet, a bad, menacing presence. I also started to see large, black, human-shaped figures that would come from the closet And either move out towards the hallway or move the other way and disappear through the hall. The guy I was dating at the time didn't believe me when I told him about feeling that something bad was lurking in the closet or that I was seeing these shadowy figures. One particular night, I was having a fitful sleep. I was dreaming that I was watching all of my friends and family being tied down and tortured to death. Really weird fucking shit. In the dream, after watching all of my family and friends perish, I was tied down and was about to start being tortured as well. As a set of pliers were inching closer to my mouth to extract a tooth, I started to panic. When the tooth was grasped tightly by the pliers, I was awakened by a thunderous crashing sound that caused me to scream out loud. The box fan I had sitting at the end of my bed was laying on the floor. It had sounded like someone had picked it up over their head and slammed it down so hard that it shook my bed. The fan had been sitting there for months in the exact same position and nothing like that had ever happened before. There was zero damage to the fan, but my heart was pounding completely out of my chest and I could barely catch my breath. These strange occurrences continued to happen for around a month or so, and weird things had even started happening to the guy I was dating at the time. He had started seeing large black masses moving from the closet and out of our room, and he had even been startled out of his sleep by something that I couldn't see, but that had scared the living shit out of him. Needless to say, he started believing me at that point. It was when we decided to move out of the place we had been staying at that all of the weird shit stopped happening to us. I mean, it just... Completely stopped, without another incident occurring. I'm not sure if something had attached itself to me from the sanatorium, but that's the only explanation I can come up with to explain everything that had happened to me. I had planned to go back to the sanatorium to entertain my love of everything scary many times, but other circumstances have prevented that from happening, and I haven't been back there since. This whole experience has never changed my mind about wanting to go back through the yearly-held haunted house, or even trying to go through the tours given throughout the year. And even though those experiences were weird as shit, they never truly scared me or bothered me the way one would think they would. I still have the pictures from that night and the memories of all of the events that followed me home from our evening at the haunted sanatorium.
2: to listen to disturbed ad free of course you do go to disturbedpodcast.com/support to get your access today
0: next up we hear from reddit user walk before you crawl 187 featuring voice work by tom aglio and it's what you see in the
1: woods that will stay with you forever Me and some of my buddies used to go to this place called Profile Rock in Freetown, Massachusetts, late at night, sometimes 2 or 3 in the morning. One night during the summer, I go to Profile Rock with three of my friends at 2.30 a.m. just to mess about and explore. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but Profile Rock in the area we were in is part of an area called the Bridgewater Triangle, which is a site of alleged paranormal activities and also one of the most haunted areas in the state I live in. Continuing on, we climbed Profile Rock itself, stayed on top of it for maybe 3-4 to four hours, and we all decided to leave. Now, as you're leaving Profile Rock, you have to go down this long path that's about 2 miles long to get back to where we parked our car. Two of my friends are walking about 20-30 to 30 feet in front of me and my other friend. Now, I'll never know why I turned around. I didn't have a feeling like someone was watching us, I just simply turned around because, besides the moonlight shining through the trees in certain areas, we only had cell phone flashlights to make our way around. I remember turning around and seeing someone running at us from about 150 feet away full speed. What threw me off wasn't that they were running at us, it was how they were running. You know how a zombie walks in a horror movie dragging one of its legs almost limping? That's how this someone was running at us. At first I didn't say anything and possibly assumed it was one of my friends or someone that was already in there who got injured and needed assistance until this someone made it to an area of the path where the moonlight reached through the trees and gave them some perspective. What I saw still chokes me up till this day. You ever see a child try to draw a person, how they make a stick figure most of the time? That's exactly how this someone looked. I caught maybe a 10 second glance as it was running under the moonlit trees, but I saw no distinguishable facial features, no eyes, no mouth, and no ears. Its arms and legs looked like that of an extremely malnourished person, only completely black and it didn't look like skin or any type of clothing from what I could see. I almost can't even describe it, to be honest, and you could blatantly tell it wasn't a mask or one of those Halloween blacked-out suits. I recall calling out to my friend in a panicked voice who was walking with me who was now maybe 10 feet ahead of myself. I shined my cell phone light on him as he was looking where I was just looking, and I could tell right away from his facial expression that I wasn't seeing things. It was now 40 feet away from us, if that, almost the same distance as our friends in front of us, and me and my friend just took flight and started running. My two other friends in front of us shot around and asked us what was wrong, and I replied, just run, and all four of us jetted for our car. I remember taking a glance back as we were running, and there was nothing there, even though whatever was chasing us would certainly be on our tails by now. We all hopped in the car, and my friend who was walking with me yells, Dude, tell me you seen that? What the fuck was that? I told him I seen the same thing. I asked him to describe to all of us what he saw, and he described literally the exact same thing I witnessed. By now, my other two friends are thinking we were joking around or messing with them, until my friend who was walking with me swore on his father who has passed away not even a month ago that he's telling the truth. I was kind of frustrated, to be honest, because I couldn't believe my other two friends didn't see it as they turned around to question why we were running, but it doesn't matter now. We actually went back there with a few more people the day after and witnessed nothing, of course. I'll never know what it was or who it was or what it wanted. But I know one thing, there's no way in hell two people both imagine seeing some stick figure specter in the woods.
2: We need to get rid of some evidence. Don't go anywhere
1: Play for free at
5: Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Boyd were prohibited by law. 18 plus. terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed. I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Maholovic. And now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an Evergreen podcast, Killer Podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the Clock Tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just
4: need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.
2: Now back to the horror. Disturbed podcast with your host, Chad.
0: Up next, we hear from Reddit user Kitty Cat Has Claws, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we learn that not all guests are welcome.
3: I have been working for an independent hotel for just over four years now. We're the number one rated hotel in our city, and proud of it. I mostly work in housekeeping, but have done some time at the front desk as well. I love my job, and I've always said that my bosses are great. Now, being a housekeeper, I've seen some things. I've seen a room where someone snuck in their dog, kitten, and chicken. We don't allow pets. I once had a room that I was cleaning as a stayover that had tripods set up around the bed, professional camera equipment cases, an adult-sized pacifier, on-site, and XL-sized children's diapers. The two people that were in that room were in their early 20s. I even had a room once that we had to call the cops on for a raid because we found meth. They found a lot of drugs and guns in that room. But today? Today is the first time I've ever actually felt scared to be in a guest's room. As I'm working on a room that's already been vacated, a man in the next room over catches me at my supply cart. He's set to be staying for several days and tells me, you can go ahead and clean my room now. I'm going for breakfast. Excellent I love getting my stayovers done early on. It makes things easier for the people working laundry the sooner we get the dirty laundry down to them. So I pop over into his room, opening it up and popping the door open with a stopper like we always do. The first thing I notice is that he has around 20 prescription bottles lined up on one of the two beds, along with insulin and needles. I'm nosy, I'll admit it, and I wanted to see what he was on. Oddly, it was only two different types of medication for all 20 bottles. About two thirds were a diabetes medication, and the rest were a cholesterol medication. That's a little weird that he has so many bottles of the same meds, but whatever. I go to make the bed and see that some of the bedding has been stained, and sigh, knowing now I'll have to change all the bedding now instead of just being able to turn down the sheets and blanket. So I leave the room, closing it behind me to go get the liners I need, and then head right back to the room. I propped the door open again and head to set the clean linens on the desk chair when I see out of the corner of my eye two notes sitting on the TV armoire. It wouldn't mean anything except I caught the word kill scrawled on it. I dropped the linens and took a closer look. What I read on the first note made my blood run cold. You don't have to forgive her, you just can't kill her. You are here to take money and alcohol away from you. Get over having to kill her, and you can safely leave. My heart was pounding. My eyes went to the second note, which had just looked like a to-do list at first glance, but in the end made my stomach churn. Spray and wash. Apply for Medicare. Insubordination. The soul is healed by being with children. Bank card follow-up. Inheritance. Savings. Quai Pop 10,500. Map Montana. There will be a day of reckoning. "'Did you tell Mom what I said? "'How did Bev get my address?' "'It was too much.' "'I quickly snapped pictures of them on my phone "'so I could show my boss why I would not clean his room. "'I left the room quickly, closing it up behind me. "'As the door closes, I turn, "'and I see the man just ten feet away from me, "'coming back to his room. "'My heart is in my throat, "'but I manage a smile and tell him, "'I need more supplies. "'I'll be back to your room in a bit.' "'I take off straight for the elevator.' having noticed our maintenance man waiting for the slow transport. In a hushed tone, I tell him what I found, and he sees I'm shaken. Not a normal state for me. He writes down with me, and I go straight to my boss and tell her that for the first time in all these years, I am not comfortable being in a guest's room. I show her the pictures, and her face is still and pale. She goes to the front desk and asks our general manager for a minute of her time and brings her into the office to show her. She agreed. This was not a safe situation, and took our maintenance man with her to go inform the man he had one hour to get his belongings and leave the hotel, and he was not welcome back. I spent a few minutes in the laundry room, trying to calm down, Then my boss went back up with me to the floor until the man was officially out of the hotel. I don't know who Bev is. I don't know who the woman is that he didn't feel he needed to forgive, but man in room 422? Let's never meet again.
2: Are you terrified yet? You will be.
0: And finally, our title story coming to us from Reddit user Bluebells Angels, featuring voice work by Melissa Medina. And we feel the heart stopping fear of being kidnapped.
4: I'm 17 as I write this. I was 9 when me and my two friends were abducted. My mother has been a single mother since I was about six. She's a relentless, intelligent, caring, and amazing woman that I love with all my heart. She's worked high-labor, low-paying jobs ever since I was little. Because of this, we moved into a house that was in a pretty rough area. There were definitely rougher parts of town, but this place wasn't where the wealthy resided, to say the least. But I made a lot of friends and a lot of fond memories in that place. My best friend moved onto my street a couple of weeks after I did, which is obviously the most spectacular thing to happen to an eight-year-old, so I was content. All of the kids in that area knew each other, but me, my best friend to this day, and my other good friend were joined at the hip. We'd knock on for each other every day, rain or shine. If we weren't out with each other, we would be extremely bored. We definitely weren't nice kids, though. We'd have feuds and physical fights with other kids, and we loved to argue, especially with adults. Our parents had a hard time trying to curb our bad behavior. I look back and feel dreadful for how much I riled my poor mom up. I had specific rules for when I was out, and because our parents were all friends, they were rules for all of us. One, must be home before 6 p.m. Two, don't go past Northumberland Street, a street pretty far away from our houses. And despite disobeying all of these rules, I just wish I'd been more reverent to these final two. One, never go to the park on your own. Two, never, ever, speak to strangers. There was a pretty big park close by to us. It had a huge climbing structure that looked like a rocket, huge winding slides, a zip wire, swings, you name it. To get to it, you had to pass a very busy, fast-paced main road. And as I mentioned earlier, we lived in a rough area, and the park was unfortunately placed directly in the center of it all close by to a neighboring really, really sketchy area that was a hotspot for gangs, drugs, and everything of the sort. Because of this, the park was a no-go zone for us. If we went, it was always supposed to be in the middle of the day with our parents when it was busy. But we were rebellious kids. Rules were something we liked to break, as corny as it sounds. Days when we would get bored, we'd haul our bikes over to the forbidden park. It was an exciting place to be, and even more exciting when you're not supposed to be there. As time went on, we got more lax with the rules. We'd get home at 6.30, we'd go way past Northumberland Street, and we'd be at the park nearly every day. At first, we'd go to the park at midday, when there were families and other children there, but as we got more cocky, we started to go later in the day. It was the summer of 2013. We developed a bit of a routine. We'd leave the house in the late morning, around 11-ish. We'd play about in the streets on our bikes. We'd meet with other kids. We'd go to the shops and buy, or steal, sweets, etc. And then, at usually quarter past five, after we'd exhausted our options, we'd go to the Forbidden Park. The park was actually pretty empty at this time, besides some teenagers that would gather in groups on the field. We'd do our rounds, slide down the slides, push each other on the zip wire, see who could go the highest on the swings, etc. After we felt satisfied, we'd speed home and pretend to our parents that nothing happened. After we'd been doing this pretty regularly under the radar, we noticed this couple who would sit on the bench and watch us. We didn't think much of it, but We did worry that they were surveilling us to tell our parents that we were unsafe or something like that, but for the most part, we just pretended they weren't there. They'd show up like clockwork shortly after we arrived, every time. They were blatantly following us. The timing was too convenient. On the 2nd of August, 2013, me, Amber, and Will were sitting on the swings and watched this couple walk through the entrance and toward the bench like they usually did. The park had lost its novelty at this point, so we just sat on the swings, kinda bored. This allowed us to pay more attention towards the pair sat watching us. We were staring, and they were staring back. They got up from the bench and started heading towards us. We all had a case of the Napoleon complex at this age, but as soon as I saw them walk toward us, I felt my age, and I was nervous. My memory from here onwards is pretty distinct. I whispered that we should run, but Amber was fervently staying put, clearly not evaluating the situation like I was. Her arms were crossed and she was ready for an argument, and I was not, nor was Will. We just sat. I had never gotten this clear of a look at them. The woman was tall and fat, with big frizzy hair that had streaks of gray running through it. Her partner was short, even uglier, with his gray, thin, and receding hair tied into a ponytail behind his head, wearing clothes too big for him. They were both dressed in all black. The woman looked like the type who would serve you in a witchy shop that sold crystals and incense. He, however, looked the part, like a pedophile. He fit the mold. Her, not so much, but women rarely do. She asked us what we were doing in an empty park all by ourselves. Amber went to reply, but I butted in, trying to be sensible. We're leaving soon. You'd expect normal adults concerned for the safety of three children to say something like, it's getting late, it's not safe here, you'd better go home now, but no. The man quickly said, verbatim, I reckon you should all stay here for a while, we'll give you all a lift home. I instantly felt uneasy. Amber's face lit up like we'd just been offered a good meal. Will mirrored me, however, things felt bad. We briefly glanced over at each other, and then Amber blurted out, ''Okay, we have no money, though.'' I couldn't speak. My face was frozen. But this man's face spoke volumes. He was excited. ''Money? No, on the house,'' he giggled, showing his dirty, yellow, crooked fucking teeth. The woman just smiled. They walked off and said to just go up to them when we were ready to leave. Amber was hyper. I was crippled with nervousness. They're weird, Amber. Why did you say that? Will loudly whispered. Amber was swinging super high on the swings. Oh, well, we don't have our bikes and it's boring when we walk. If I knew what I know now, I would have ran fucking miles to get away from those creeps. I remember the time on my iCarly watch being nearly six. We need to go now. We would have been late if we walked, but again, it would have been better to be hours late than to get in that car. I remember Amber enthusiastically jumping off the swing and we walked toward the couple. The woman said, come on then, in a kind motherly voice as we walked toward their silver Toyota. I knew from the jump something was totally off. There was an energy of excitement, particularly in the man that just didn't match the situation. As soon as they swung the door open, I started to go into panic mode. The seats were covered in black bin bags. I just braced myself and sat in the car. It reeked of cigarettes. He was driving, and he sped out of the car park. To get to our houses, you had to turn right at the exit. There was literally no other way. And of course, they sped left. I started crying. Amber, with audible panic, said, You're not going the right way. Where are you going? Their tone changed dramatically as the woman turned to the back seat. Don't say another fucking word. You'll soon see where we're going. I was now bawling, crying. The others were probably just frozen in fear. I shouted, ''Stop it, please. My dad's a police officer and he'll find you.'' Barely intelligible with the tears in my voice. Very calmly, the fucking creep says, ''No, he's not.'' My heart practically fell out of my chest as I came to the realization that he knew who I was. He knew I didn't see my dad. I saw a red light and I planned to just dive out of the car, hoping the others would follow. The red light came and we came to a halt.'' But, of course, classically, their door handles were locked. What followed was the result of just sheer incomprehensible luck that many aren't privileged to. One of the Will's dad's best friends, Jeremy, was walking his dog along the path next to the park while we were there. From some distance, he recognized Will and us walking with these random people and getting into their car. Initially, he wasn't alarmed, but suspicious. He just assumed it was people Will knew. But to act on the side of caution, thank God, he rang Will's dad, where he soon found that Will should have been home three minutes earlier and that he was absolutely not supposed to be in the park, especially not with these random people. Jeremy, now completely alarmed, put his dog in the boot of his car and sped out trying to find where we had gone. Will's dad had rung the police, then our parents. My mom doesn't even like to talk about the moment she got that phone call. We turned down this country road when we heard the sound of a loud car horn behind us. Unbeknownst to us at this point, it was Jeremy. The woman put her head into her hands as she screamed, For fuck's sake! I was so riddled with fear, I didn't have the spare reserve to contemplate whether this meant we were being saved. I just sat there with my eyes closed. This maniac stepped on the gas and we were bombing down these winding country roads. A few miles down, the sound of sirens broke me out of my misery. We perked up. We were begging him to stop the car and he was groaning and muttering to himself. The woman's head was still firmly in her hands. We came to a junction and thank God he didn't get any ideas to kill us all as we were approaching a tall bridge above the motorway. The police yanked the doors open and pulled us out of the car. There were two riot vans and two police cars. In the arms of a policewoman, I watched as those disgusting losers got handcuffed and thrown into the back of the riot van. I'll never forget seeing my mom's face as the police car turned the corner onto our street. She was barefooted in floods of tears, sprinting toward the car. My mom has never held me so tight before, or since. I was crying in the most intense state of relief I've ever been in. The pair were arrested for attempted kidnapping and unsurprisingly, the possession of child pornography and bone chillingly, they had pictures of us playing in the park. I'm pleased to say they are rotting away in prison. If the inevitable took place, And we weren't blessed with such luck. I very likely wouldn't be writing this today. Hold your loved ones tightly. Be vigilant. You're not invincible. Prepare for the worst.
2: Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at disturbed underscore pod. Do you have your own terrifying encounter? Did something unexplained happen to you? Let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email mystoryatdisturbedpodcast.com
0: Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. If you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed, featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. And let's shout out our newest supporters. Heidi Clevenstein, Missy Goldstein, Brooke, Michael, Anna Cabana, Wired Soul, Jennifer Misgen, Kirsten, and Ryan Bierko. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.